Just a little more of trouble in the slow and sinful state. Then we'll enter heaven's portals, sweeping through the pearly gates. Soon we'll see the light of morning, then the new day will begin. Soon we'll hear the Father calling, come my children enter in. Then we'll hear a choir of angels singing out the victory song. All our trouble will be ended, and we'll live with heaven's throng. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little while to labor in the path that's always straight. Just a little more of trouble in this low and sinful state, then we'll enter heaven's portals. Sweeping through the pearly gates, then we'll enter heaven's portals. Sweeping through the pearly gates. <laughs> Soon we'll see the light of more. And the new day will begin. Soon we'll hear the Father calling, Come, my children, enter in. Then we'll hear a choir of angels singing out the victory song. All our troubles will be ended, and we'll live with heaven strong. Just a little while to stay here, just a little while to wait, just a little while to labor in the path that's always straight, just a little more of trouble in this low and sinful state, then we'll enter heaven's portals. Sweeping through the pearly gates, then we'll enter heaven's portals. Sweeping through the pearly gates. I'd have done one of those, and the pearly gates. Something like that, you know, especially today, yeah, because my voice is a little lower today. I'd have enjoyed that. Now, that was, that was good, bro. I like that bass part stuff. Don't you like that? Yeah, that was good. All right, take your Bibles. Turn over the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. Praise the Lord. We're kicking off our missions conference today. I know it's a little bit different. In the past, we kicked it off on a Sunday and ended on a Wednesday, and then we took our offering on the following Sunday. This year, we're trying to kick it off today and kind of allow it to be a week of missions. And although on Monday and Tuesday night, you may not be here in a service, we're asking that you'll be praying and that you'll be begging God to work not only in your own life to give you leadership and direction as to what part you'll play, but... Also, that you'll be praying and asking God for just power in his services and upon the speaker and upon the every listening ear. We want God to do something in our lives this week, not just collectively as a church. We want God to do something 
personally in our lives. Amen? So let's look over in Acts chapter 20 as we're going to ask a question this morning. And we're not going to take a lot of time this morning. But I do want to just kick things off with this question. Let's go ahead and look at Acts chapter 20 verse 17. We're going to look here in the passage. We're going to meet up with the Apostle Paul here. Acts chapter 20 beginning in verse 17. And uh, it would be good if I could get there right now. I'm in the book of John as we speak. Uh, there we go. I'm, I'm so unbelievably uh, moved by the base part that I've lost perspective here. So here we go. Acts chapter 20, verse 17. <clears throat> and from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, Ye know from the first day that I came into Asia, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying and weight of the Jews. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have shewed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save that the Holy Ghost witnessed in every city, saying that bonds and affliction abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Miletus was a city of considerable size, and it was of considerable importance. On the other hand, Ephesus, where Paul had come from, was about 30 miles away. And now Paul's in Miletus, and there in Ephesus is where he came from. He summons the Ephesian elders to meet with him. He wants those elders to come to Miletus. He wants them to meet with him. Three or four days is all it would take for the elders to arrive here in Miletus, being 30 miles away. Unfortunately, if he went to Ephesus, and some would say, well, why doesn't he just go? First of all, he didn't have a car, and he didn't have an airplane, and he didn't have the kind of mobility that we have today. He would have had to go on foot, and he would have had to go through some terrain, and the fact is is that it would have been rather difficult to some degree. Three or four days is all it would take for the elders to arrive. He, if he goes to Ephesus, it's going to take, be a two-way journey. And not only does he have to go there, but he also has to return. And not only that, but while he's there, it is possible, just possible, that he ends up in another riot. Remember that the Apostle Paul had gone to Ephesus, and there in Ephesus he begins to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And unfortunately for him and some of his companions, there were those that did not appreciate the gospel. Why? Because the gospel redirected the focus of the people. They were worshiping the goddess of Diana. And there these men would come together and they would make statues of Diana. And they would sell them for gain. And it was their livelihood, if you will. Unfortunately, once again, for the men of God, these men were not happy that all of a sudden people were being turned from Diana a false God, to the true God, Jesus. And as a result, sales went down. As a result, their livelihood was in question. And so they they gathered the people together and they started trying to create a problem for these disciples of Christ. And as a result, there is a riot that takes place and before Paul can be captured, before Paul can be accosted, he is whisked out of the city. So now the Apostle Paul is saying to the elders at Ephesus, you come see me. I think I'll stay out. 
God has called me to Jerusalem. I know that God wants me to go to Jerusalem. And therefore, I don't want to get sidetracked. And I don't want to get caught up in what's taking place there now. I spent two and a half years in Ephesus. I don't want to belabor myself there any longer. I must get to Jerusalem. So he administered there, as we said, two and a half years. For the first three months in Ephesus, he began preaching and teaching in the synagogue. His life had been an open book. And now in our passage, he challenges the Ephesian elders to examine his life, to look at his life. He had set an example of lowly service. He had never been proud. He'd never been haughty. He'd never been arrogant. No, he had never lorded over them in any way. He had always humbled himself and submitted himself to both God and man. He had demonstrated before them the very mind of Christ. The Bible says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. It goes on to say in verse 8, who humbled himself. And the Apostle Paul indeed had the mind of Christ and he humbled himself. He again had set an example before these Ephesians and before the elders of godly sorrow. They had seen his frequent tears. They had watched him weep over their sin and they'd seen him cry out in, in concern and for their sadness and their broken hearts. He had gone forth weeping and bearing precious seed and he came back rejoicing. Paul saying, you know, I've been consistent in my pursuit. My pursuit of two goals. The first goal being save as many souls possible to Christ. And the second, bring believers to the full measure and stature of Christ so that they are equipped to serve the Lord and live for the Lord and do the will of God. And I've done just that, the Apostle Paul saying. His record spoke for itself. He had a testimony among these believers and among these leaders. And no amount of persecution could sidetrack him from his determination to set Christ before them. He goes on in the passage in verses 19 to say, Ye know. Ye know what I was. Ye know who I am. Ye know what I've done. You've seen my example. I've been true to the cause. Remain faithful to the word of Christ. In verse 20 and 21, there's an expression. It's, the expression is kept back. It says there in 20, and, and how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. That word kept back, it, it comes from, I guess, um, I guess it would be Luke's vo- medical vocabulary, if you will. The word that's being used is hupostello. And basically the word used is that of withholding food from patience. So if you're patient and you're held, withhold food, it, you're being, it's being kept back from you. And what the point being is, is that he's saying in the passage right here in, in that verse 20, and how I kept back nothing. I did not withhold any spiritual food. I never did keep it back from you. Whether it was, whether it was convenient, whether it was comfortable or not, whether it, it seemed to, in your eyes at the time to profit or not, I knew what was best and I knew what was needed and I preached the gospel and I teached the gospel and I shared the word of God with you and I gave you everything. I held nothing back. He did everything he could to spread a full table, if you will, to set before them the whole counsel of God. And he never hesitated to give them food that even at times they didn't really like a whole lot. You know, growing up, my mom was not one that likes vegetables. 
You're not a vegetable eater. But there were things that my mom served that, honestly, I did not like. Now, I know today in the culture and the, in the, the society we live in today, mamas don't make their kids eat anything they don't want. Right? Well, some of you still do, praise the Lord. But I still remember my mom saying, if it was put in front of you, you're going to eat it. It's good for you. And I'm thinking, that ain't no good at all. I mean, are you kidding me? It tastes horrible. It can't possibly be good for me. It tastes and looks like poison. You want to know something? It didn't taste good. At least not to me. Now, maybe as I've grown older, my taste buds have changed in certain things that mama said it would be good for me and that you will like them one day. They, that did happen, I got to admit. But the fact was, there were things that I thought, you're kidding me? You're going to make me eat that? And you know, in the spiritual realm, sometimes the man of God gets up, and in this case, Paul the Apostle, and he says, man, thus saith the Lord, and thus saith the Lord, and go forward for God, and do this for God. And people go, wow, that's tough. That's hard to swallow. But you know what? Paul didn't hold anything back because he knew what was best. He knew what was needed. He goes on to say, I've shooed you and I've taught you some things. He shooed them some things. He showed them some things. It's one thing when someone tells us. It's another thing when they show us. You know, we got that saying, you know, uh, more is caught than taught. You know, and I've, I've tried to quote this the other day, and I, maybe I messed it up, I don't know, but, you know, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your talk talks louder, your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You see, it's what we do that really makes a tremendous impact. Yes, what we say is important, but what we do truly lays the foundation for our words. It gives us credibility. And Paul says, I've shewed you some things and I've taught you some things by my life and by my lips, by exposition and by example. I've been a living epistle, he says to them. I've been read by all men. His method, he goes on to say in the passage that he went publicly and from house to house. There in Ephesus, I mean, he made an impact. He began publicly in the synagogue, and there for probably about three months he preached in the synagogue. But he was not well accepted. They didn't really appreciate his message in the synagogue. So the Apostle Paul takes another trip, another another, uh, uh, route, and now this time he goes to the school of Tyrannus. And there in that school, for the next couple of years, he begins, he continues to preach and teach the Word of God. But the Bible says not only did he do it publicly, but he did it from house to house. People say, why in the world do you guys still hold to this door-to-door soul winning? How come you still go knocking on doors? Why do you still go out into the public and take Christ to every resident? I'll tell you why. Because it's biblical. The Apostle Paul knocked on every door in Ephesus. The Apostle Paul made his way to every home. And he said, listen, Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. I don't care if you're of Jewish descent. Doesn't matter to me whether you're of a pagan descent. Doesn't matter to me if you have any background in religion or not. You need the truth. And I'm on your doorstep to tell you about one that rose again from the dead. His name is Jesus, and he'll forgive you, and he'll save you. He taught privately, and then he went door to door from house to house. Very simple, very simple method. He went after every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl. He had no respect of persons. Didn't matter to him what color, what creed, what race, what religion. It did not matter. Everyone was a person, and everyone was in need of Christ. 
verse 22, we recognize and we see that Paul had this tremendous desire to go to Jerusalem, but he was not permitted. Now he was going to Jerusalem. Before he wasn't permitted, now he's going. He's bound in spirit. He knows it's of the Lord and he knows he's going and he knows and recognizes and realizes that it's God that's allowing him to go and pointing him in that direction now. Or before it would have been all him, now it's God directing and leading him. Well, how important is that in our lives? Not only was he firmly resolved to go, but he was under spiritual constraint, as we said. And interestingly enough, in verse 23, he makes it clear that he was in for a rough time in Jerusalem. See, the Holy Spirit had told him so. The Holy Spirit had made that known to the Apostle Paul. You're going to have a bad time, a difficult time, a rough time going to, to, to Jerusalem. But nonetheless, he was resolved to go. You know, it's interesting that much of the time of his life following this decision was spent in prison. Paul would go to Jerusalem and Paul would be captured and Paul would ultimately spend the majority of time in prison until finally, about 10 years later, he'd be put to death. Verse 24, Paul looked at life and makes it clear that he looks at it from a much different perspective than most. He views life from a higher perspective than the norm. Self-preservation was not high on his list of priorities. He knew going to Jerusalem would end bad. He understood and was made clear that it would ultimately cost him greatly. But he didn't care. He knew what God wanted and he was willing to pay the price. And he wanted nothing but to do the will and purpose and plan of God in his life. He was prepared to lose both liberty and his life for the cause of Christ. He ultimately says in verse 24, But none of these things move me. I realize that going to Jerusalem is going to ultimately cost me greatly. I know that it could mean I'm thrown into prison or jail again. I realize that I could be beaten and marred and maimed even. I know it could end even on a gallows or possibly with my head being taken off. I get it and I know it, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself. So that I might finish my course with joy. It's not an interesting statement. That I might finish my course with joy. Paul's saying, listen, I know that it seems a, a scary thing for me to go there. And I know many of my, you companions don't want me to go for fear of the loss of life or the hurt and heartache that it may bring me. But I'm telling you now, if I don't go, I'll not know the joy of God in my life. Amen. Interestingly enough, You can search the world for joy and peace and purpose. You'll never find it outside of his purpose and his plan for your life. You never have to feel sorry for a missionary, no matter how deep, how off the beaten path they end up. 
If they are in the center of God's will, that is where the greatest joy in their life is, whether it's with malaria, whether it's with dysentery, no matter what illnesses, diseases, or conflicts they face, that's the greatest joy they can experience is in the center of God's purpose and plan for their life. And it's true in your life, too, and in mine. Paul says, none of these things move me. None of these things. You guys can stop trying to convince me not to go to Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit's told me to go. And he's also told me what I'm going to face. Don't try. Don't even go there because I want to finish my course with joy. I'm not afraid of losing my life. I'm not afraid of having a, a spending 10 years in prison. If that's the, I will just do it because I know what God wants from me. And these things, none of these things move me. Man, I'll tell you, I don't know about you, that's powerful. That's powerful. See, it wasn't the fear of fate or the concern for life or liberty that moved Paul, the apostle. It was his great desire to reach the lost, to honor his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He was moved by a much higher calling than just simply self-preservation or material gain. When writing to the Romans, he refers to himself as, quote, as a sheep for the slaughter. Romans 8, 36. See, the important thing to Paul was to fulfill the ministry that had been entrusted to him and to be a witness around the world for the cause of Christ, whether it be in life or death. None of these things move me, he says. Can I ask you this morning a simple question? What moves you? What motivates you? What, what places your priorities where they belong? What is it that moves you today? Is it money? Material gain? Is that what moves you? Is it comfort, ease, and leisure? Is that what moves you? Is it safety and security for you and your family? Is it your job or career? Does what move you is your education or your, your, your friends? Let me ask you even, and again, please don't misunderstand what I'm going to say, but is it your family that moves you? And listen, I understand that these things, none of them are in and of themselves are bad things. But when they take precedence, when they are that which moves us, which motivates us above and beyond the literal call of God in our life, the purpose and plan of God for our life, then they have taken much too high a priority. What really moves you? We have Jesus' example, don't we? Turn, if you would, to John chapter 5, verse 30. What moved Jesus Christ? He, the Bible says, is our great example. So what moved the Lord? In John chapter 5, verse 30, we read, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not mine own will, but the will of the Father which has sent me. Do you know what moved him? The will of his Father. 
The will of the Father. The will of His Father. That's what moved Jesus. And ultimately, how did that move Him? Well, in Luke 19, 10, it says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Literally, the the will of His Father and the souls of people, that's what moved the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what caused Him to leave the security and safety of heaven and come to an earth where ultimately His creation would murder and kill Him and put Him on a cross. Jesus' example, the will of of His Father and the souls of people, that's what moved Him. What about Paul again? We've discussed and talked about him a little bit. What really moved him? Well, turn to Acts chapter 26. There toward the end of his life, he faces a king and he gives his testimony. And in that testimony, we find what his purpose for existing was. What his real motivation was. Acts chapter 26, verse 16. On the road to Damascus, we see him meeting up with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's giving a testimony now, a testimony to King Agrippa. And he says, but rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ speaking to him on that road back in chapter 9 of the book of Acts. To make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He looks at King Agrippa and he looks him right in the eye and he says, Whereupon, King Agrippa, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. When the Lord Jesus Christ commissioned me, when he called me to follow his example, to ultimately go into a world and preach the gospel, his gospel, I was not disobedient. I recognized I must fulfill the will of my Father. I must reach out to the souls of people. And Paul made it his life goal, and that's what moved him. He would think about the price that Jesus Christ paid on Calvary for his sin. He'd remember the calling that God, the God of heaven, gave to him to reach a world. And he'd say, I've got to win souls. I've got to train people. I've got to get the gospel to the ends of the world. It motivated, it moved him. Oh, it wasn't about his own personal safety. It never was about his prosperity or his preeminence or his power, or his position. It was always about the master and the men and women that needed him. What moves you today? Turn your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. A foundational passage in Scripture one that sets the stage and one that gives reason for this urgency of reaching the world. Genesis 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. 
And man became a living soul. The Lord God formed of the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. Brother Cody, come on up here, would you please? What you see before you today, come on up please, come on all the way up, is a man. And this man, I can feel him there and he is flesh and he is in front of me. You stand right there, thank you. And what I see is Cody. He's a young man. It's obvious by the fact that he still has a head of hair and it's dark. <laughs> the other day, someone, and I can't remember the circumstance. Oh, it was one of the nurses at the hospital uh, telling one of our sisters whose husband's in the hospital. Uh, she said, which, who came to visit my husband? And she said, I'm not sure. The, what, the pastor. He said, which pastor? Uh, Brother Brad and I especially have been going up there quite a bit. And, and so, uh, stand up, would you, Brother Brad? And so, Brother Brad's going up there and so am I. And uh, she said, well, which one? Could you describe him? It, it, was, he, was, he, uh, was he tall? Yeah, he's pretty tall. What color was his hair? Uh, black, brown. Um, it was me. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know if I want that nurse working on me. Are you kidding, right? Dark hair? Uh Uh-uh. Tall? I don't think so. Thank you, Brother Brad. Now, I don't know why I told you that, but I thought that was interesting. But anyway, we we see here, Brother Cody. Now listen, here's the thing. The Bible says in the book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 7, that God formed man of the dust of the ground. And so we have here a physical man. He's of the dust of the ground. Do you know when he dies, what he turns back to? Dust. Do you know what that, that body turns into? Dust. But hold on, something unique happened to mankind. Something very unique. Hey, listen, don't, I'm not going to discuss it. I don't have time to go into it because of time. But the fact is that animals have souls. But may I say to you today, an animal does not have a living soul. Close your ears, everybody under the age of 12. Do you know what that living soul means for this man here that is flesh today, that stands before us today? Has dark hair and he's young and it seems his whole life is ahead of him. It means that even after he grows old, even after his hair turns gray or lets loose, even after he gets older and he's no longer capable and able to function on this earth, when he closes his eyes in what we call death, he will continue to live on. Because he has an eternal soul now, a living soul. You say, what moved the Apostle Paul? If none of these things moved him, what moved him? I'll tell you what moved him. That living soul moved him. It wasn't just whether or not he had a job or he could make ends meet. It wasn't just whether or not he had a good family or was a good husband. He looked at him and he said to himself, is he going to heaven or is he going to hell? Because he's going to live forever one place or the other. And may I say to you today that there's not a person sitting in the seats today here before us that's not going to live forever somewhere, either in a place called heaven, eternal life, or a place called hell, eternal death. But the fact is you have an eternal soul that was given to you the very moment of conception. You are a living soul, even as Adam was. 
And as we look around us in the world in which we live, there ought to be just a few things that move us. And what moves should move us is the will of our Father in heaven and what He calls us to do and His purpose and plan for our life. And we ought to fulfill it and please Him with all our heart. But we ought to look around us and see mankind and women all around us and say, they're living souls. They're living souls. They'll never die. They're going to heaven. They're going to hell. But they'll be there forever. That's what moved the Apostle Paul. He said, man, Cody's not just going to live on earth. I don't want his life just to be good now. I want him to have the hope of a God in eternity holding him and hugging him and saying, I love you, son. Not being burning in a place called hell. What moved Paul? He said, you know what? I don't care about my life. Doesn't matter about my safety. Doesn't matter about my power or my preeminence or my prosperity. What matters to me today, what moves me today, are souls. I wonder today, what moves you? What moves me? Can I testify and can I be transparent for a moment? Way too often... I'm being moved by something other than souls. That's why we have to stay in God's word and stay in his presence. Because the, the, the longer we're in his presence, the more we capture his heart. What matters to God today? Do you really think that what's most important to God is whether you have an education or not? Do you think what's most important to God is whether or not you make a lot of money or not? Do you really think that what's most important to God is that you have a beautiful wife or a handsome husband? Those things aren't wrong in and of themselves. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But if that's what moves us, then he's not. Then he's not. I believe that according to Matthew 6.33... We can have all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What moves you? We're beginning our missions conference. What do I see when I look at a man, when I look at a woman, a boy or a girl? I ought to see a living soul. A living soul. No matter what their race, their creed, their color, their background, their nationality, they're a living soul. And that's what you ought to see. Because that's what God the Father sees. And that's what Jesus Christ our Lord sees. And that's what the Apostle Paul saw. And that's why he could say, none of these things move me. I'm going to Jerusalem. And it don't matter if I'm thrown in prison, maligned, mistreated, maimed doesn't matter to me if I lose my life. The fact is that there's something more important than any of those things. It's those living souls. That's what moves me. What moves me? What moves you today? Last year, God blessed us with a tremendous, tremendous outpouring. We watched God increase our giving. I think that says a little bit about what moves us. I think it does. 
And you're to be commended, but that was last year. Can't live on the past. We have to live today. And this year we've watched as our soul winning continues to go out. And on Tuesday nights and Saturdays, we've seen people come to Christ as a result of those that said, man, souls are moving me. Eternal souls move me. I've got to get out there even when it's wet, even when it's cold, even when things aren't perfect in condition. I'm going because I want to obey and please the master. And the souls of people matter. And God has blessed us. But this is a new year coming up for us as far as missions. What moves you? And what will move you? It ought to be the master and mankind. Eternal souls weigh in the balance. None of these things move me, the Apostle Paul said. Thanks, Cody. What moves me is the master the souls of all mankind because they are living souls. Maybe you today, a living soul, can't say for sure that heaven's your home. If you died today on the spot, you couldn't say with all confidence, I know for a fact that I'd be in heaven with the Lord. I would escape hell. I would be in heaven I know Jesus died and I know God sent him and I understand all of that, but there's never been a time and place when I personally acknowledged my sin before God who's holy and told him, I don't deserve heaven. I need Jesus. Forgive me and save me, Lord. Come into my life. Be my savior. I'm trusting only you to get me there. No one and nothing else. You're a living soul today. You will live in one place or the other forever. Do nothing And that is a decision. You must take steps to trust and receive Christ today. Paul gave his life so that 2,000 years later, a preacher, a sawed-off preacher, could stand in this pulpit and give you the same message that was given to those people in Ephesus. What will you do with that message? for the believer today, what moves you? What moves you? Father, we come to you.